Hello and welcome to the Sunnydale Study Group, the podcast for returning Scoobies and Buffy newbies. I'm Omar. I'm Chris. And boy, we are fresh back from San Diego Comic Con. Mm, yes, I don't know if I'm fresh yet. So you're we're fresh in that we just came from it. Freshly back. We're freshly backed, and we are but freshly fresh. out of the oven. Right, I am cooked and roasted. But like you a, haven't cooled yet. Not quite. Right, right. I'm right. like a I'm like a goose that you ate some of and then put into a Tupperware container in the fridge. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the best way mm. to store goose. <laughs> Every time I've had. That, you know, a goose burger or, you know, goose Alfredo. Yeah. Yeah. You do it like that. (laughs) I'm tired, but happy and excited. That's wonderful. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about our Comic-Con experience. We're going to hear some voices Mm -hmm. from Comic-Con and all that. But we are back in the library, relaxing, Mm -hmm. hydrating, catching up on some nutrients we might have lost over the last weekend. Absolutely. Uh, And discussing the next episode in line, one of my favorites, episode 407 of Buffy, The Initiative. So let's head into the library. Okay, good to be back in Sunnydale. All right, yeah. So we are going in order. The episode before this, of course, was 406, and Mm -hmm. then we... Actually... Wait a minute. Did we? Something seems... Different. I feel like... Spike has... But we already met him after... He already came to Thanksgiving dinner. That's a little confusing. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> that there has been some sort of disturbance in the time mm-hmm. dimensionality. There was some kind of temporal rift. And I don't know who could have done it. Me neither. Like, I feel like I could almost remember it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. It's and like- if I watched the show more closely... Right. Like, it's like, I want to say that the reason there was a temporal shift was because of... Uh, don't have it. Yeah. I almost have it. Like, I remember the sensation of ice cream on my chest. Right. But I don't know why. Right. I remember that peanut butter was great, but... Yeah. Mm, and I... the sun felt great on my skin. Yeah. No, I know. Totally. And I was like, you know what? I can be in the sun, but I'd rather just be in a basement. And I felt I like I had done it recently like a few episodes ago right. like the whole thing yeah so yeah it is kind of an odd sensation right now that i'm having but hey sometimes you get odd sensations exactly and it doesn't mean that they all have to be focused on that's very true and who knows maybe more things that possibly happen in both television shows will influence the podcast in different ways that will grow and develop into its own narrative within the podcast that you'll be exclusively listening to. Who knows? Yes, exactly. Who knows these things? Mm-hmm. But anyhow, there was a shift in time. There was a shift in time. But it's from a, here on out, corrected. there will definitely not be. Because <laughs> there's no more shift in time episodes to my knowledge, right? Oh, there might be... There'll be some stuff that happens in the future. Uh, Angel has some stuff. And then the doctor lands, and then... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but anyhow, this week, we are discussing episode 407, The Initiative. Mm-hmm. Is it The Initiative or just Initiative? The Initiative. It's The Initiative, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's The Initiative, and there's so much to chat about. There's oh, yeah. so many great moments in this episode yeah. We really get to dive into Riley as a character, sort of ongoing. Mm -hmm. A fan favorite is back in the forefront, Mm -hmm. gets to hang out with the Scoobies. And of course, we're in post-breakup Willow mode. Oof. So, lots to talk about, but hey, what if you 
you didn't get a chance to watch this episode because maybe you're in line for Hall H. Maybe you're watching live streams from home comfortably in air-conditioned rooms of all the stuff going on in San Diego. Or perhaps you did watch the episode, but someone decided not to talk to someone else about some major life plans and erase an entire timeline of about 50 minutes, and you lost all memory of that. Don't worry, because we have you covered. Chris Bermonte is going to summarize this episode in five easy trying to bite size sentences but for some reason there's a chip in their brain and they can't quite do it so chris take it away uh, riley and his friends observe buffy and decide that you know what we think that riley likes buffy and that he should just get up the courage to go and ask her out but riley and the gang riley denies those feelings declaring buffy to be peculiar but when he hears Parker describe Buffy in a lewd manner, is so overcome with rage at the way that this jerk describes her that he punches him to the ground, discovering, you know what, I like this girl after all, and I'm gonna do something about it. One. Willow, sad from Oz leaving town, goes into the classroom of Professor Walsh to discover that he has Oz has removed himself and is super bummed about it. And then later in the episode, Riley comes up and asks Willow if she will help him know how to court Buffy. But a saddened Willow is at first reluctant, but then decides to let Riley know that Buffy likes cheese. That's too. Meanwhile, Spike is trapped in an underground facility where vampires and demons are being captured and tested by a government organization known as the Initiative. And Spike cleverly devises a way by not drinking his blood bag to escape from his cell and leave the facility where he's known as Hostile 17 and then gets on the run going back to Harmony who says, get out of here, Spike, I want nothing to do with you. And then Spike runs to Willow's apartment where he tries to bite Willow but discovers that something is going on and something in his brain whenever he tries to bite Willow is preventing him from actually doing harm. That's four? Three. That's three. Yeah. Oh, I think your third one was Spike. Well, that, was all same, that was all the same. Oh, things. it was all the same. <laughs> Great. You're right. There you go. Three. That was all the same sentence. At a party, Riley totally, you know, craps the bed and does not woo Willow, woo Buffy, and then goes with his boys into an underground facility. And it turns out that Riley is actually a secret agent who's part of the initiative. And they ultimately become tasked with trying to go find Spike, Hostile 17, who has escaped into the wild. That's four. That's four. Riley and Buffy, both in their separate matters, discover that Spike is out on the loose, but are unaware of the fact that they are each demon hunters. So they go and Clark Kent each other and try to get the other to go back home because they're each secretly trying to find Spike. But ultimately, it doesn't succeed, and Spike finds his way back in Stevenson Hall where Buffy and Riley and the Initiative clash in an epic battle where a flare gun has created a smoke-filled dormitory in which Riley cannot see that Buffy is fighting and Buffy cannot see Riley is fighting, 
and Spike is able to escape. That's five. Is that what happens in the episode? Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great job. Thank you. You know, temporal shifts. Of course. Mm-hmm. They mess with you. Uh, so we really quickly, uh, just about this, we're either going to discuss our Comic-Con rundown, Comic-Con 2017 rundown, mm-hmm. at the end of this session or in a special little bubble session. Yeah. Because right now I want to focus on the initiative. Yeah. But it, it will be discussed because there's so much we have to talk about in terms yeah. of the stuff we got to do at Comic-Con. Oh, my God. It was oh. such a wild thing. Yeah. Goodness. Uh, but let's not take away Oh, we from... can tease it. We can tease it. The tease it is that Omar and I co-hosted with Claire Kramer, a.k.a. Glory, the Swag by Fox official Buffy 20th anniversary party and led a crowd of Scoobies who were beautifully cosplayed and dressed uh, in a sing-along of certain songs and got to give out prizes and sing Happy 20th Anniversary to Buffy and we staked a cake with Glory. It was insane. Oh, God, the staking of the cake. (laughs) We held a cake that Glory staked. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) We'll get deeper into that soon, but I just wanted everybody to know. Yeah. It's like, oh, I bet they, you know, they waited in some lines and saw some things and maybe got some prints. It's like, no, no, no. The, the future is fun, friends. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the future is fun. Um, cool, yes, but yes, we'll but the, the Buffy full, episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's, yeah. Incredibly important episode. Almost, I wonder if there's a way, it's almost like a, so you've got your premieres. Mm-hmm. You've got your finales. Yes. Is there a term in TV, or should there be, for an episode that kind of snaps the season into place? I, as you were starting to form this question out loud, the, the term Ides popped in my head. And I know that's the 15th. That's the middle, mm-hmm. right? The Ides yeah. of March is the March 15th. Right. Beware of them. Yeah. I feel like you could have also just been really straightforward. It's just been like, you're going to get stabbed on the 15th. <laughs> <laughs> It's just me. <laughs> I would have written Macbeth completely differently. I would have kept out all the tree stuff. I would have been like, no, no, no. They're just going to Caesar. Carry. That's Caesar. But oh. my writing of Macbeth would have also been different. Yeah. Also, I think that in if I wrote Romeo and Juliet, uh, the narrator, who's not a character, like that's any character, that's someone, right? It just, just would have been Puck. I would have had Puck. Like, hey, how's it going? I'm Puck. Uh... <laughs> Now you're gonna see me in Midsummer Night's Dream, but uh, before that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, my Romeo and Juliet would have had the narrator or announcer who comes out in the beginning, who I always thought was Friar, but it's not. Just comes out and goes like, uh, "These two kids, they have both killed each other." This will take about two hours. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> but yes, there should be a term. For like whenever I'm, you know, on all the um, you know all the shows that I've worked on that everyone has seen, uh, whenever I'm like plotting out like a season of something, just to, whether it's like a web series or like a perspective series that'd be really cool to like pitch to like a network or something like that. Mm-hmm. My thing is every three episodes there's a huge twist. Mm-hmm. Every episode has like moves the story along and everything, but yeah, every three episodes has to have a game-changing twist mm-hmm. that changes the story. I feel like Riverdale does a great job at it, where you go, episode one, episode two, episode three is going, cool, episode three ends, you find out that someone's parent is actually someone else's parent or something like that. And you're right. like, what? 
episode another you know episode four episode five episode six you find they find like another body or whatever you're like what is going on um so yeah but i don't know what that term could be yeah because in this it's like the especially with season four because the show is essentially really needing to create itself again absolutely finally that has happened and i don't know if in this particular season four reviews that we've been doing if we've actually declared that that has happened a few times but it's happened again because you know we were talking about recently do we know who the big bad is yet right and we didn't and i think that now we do and and there's someone who kind of comes to embody what's bad about the initiative but ultimately i would declare who's the big bad of season four it's the initiative that sweeping shot of them going down the stairs and you seeing this hidden secret uh layer mm-hmm. yeah is so wonderfully ominous yeah. yeah it's the initiative as an organization that has many moving parts is ultimately something that is is it spoilerific to say that it's ominous well, i don't think it's spoiler- i think it's clearly a dark force well we while spike is a villain love spike yeah they've trapped spike they're drugging blood and right. also, this is a magic show. Yeah. Like, this is a show all about, like, magical forces and sort of all that. And these guys are seem to be strictly not magic. Mm-hmm. Like, this, does, or this isn't the sort of magic we're used to, the old Dusty Giles books, right? Right. So I can, I think it's so safe to say this is clearly visually an antagonistic force mm-hmm. for the show that we've been watching. Right. And I personally think they do such a good job of that so quickly yeah so quickly it's not like yeah they're doing experiments on it's like yes demons we don't like but also when you've got demons strapped to gurneys and you're cutting into their brains your instinct isn't oh the good guys yeah no that's not my instinct no and you know early clues into joss whedon's perspective on the government right (laughs) uh you know what and I think that, you know, as we know now, by the end of this episode, the initiative exists. It's the government division that is researching demons. So they know about demons. They're doing things about it. They're curious. They consider them to just be kind of wild animals. And so what I think is interesting about this is that in season one, we have a, a glimpse of the initiative. Or so it has been theorized now. At the end of Out of Sight, Out of Mind, uh-huh. Marcy is approached by these two oh, agents. Oh, yeah. And it's been unofficially declared, mostly by fans, and then, you know, Dusted mentions it and everything, that we believe was the initiative. Interest. I didn't make that connection. Because I think it didn't exist at the time, but there's no reason that it shouldn't be. I just thought it was like, I don't know, like a chair branch of the government. Yeah. <laughs> It's exactly. a lot of chairs. It was just they a chair need to fill with invisible people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got so many chairs. What are you going to do? Ha- not have people no. sit in them? That's not a derogatory term, is it? Invisible people? Mm-hmm. You tell me. I, I don't. I'm not. Okay. Well, it's, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say. Maybe it anymore, we should. Just in yeah, case. you're right. Let's um, move on. Let's <laughs> move on. So great episode. Really, actually, awesome episode. D- Doug Petrie wrote it. Fantastic return of Spike. Spike is in the credits. Yes. So when it initially aired, 
Spike wasn't in the credits and really? Oz, was, Oz was in the credits the first time it aired because I think they just like didn't fix it yet. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. But Spike is in the show. So if you are curious if Spike is sticking around or not, be curious no more. He's hanging out. He's around. Harmony still, of course, has wonderful unicorn posters on her walls. Yes. What I like about Harmony is she's still pretty Harmony. Yes. And... And by when I say pretty, I mean like she's quite like yeah right? yeah. It's it's uh what's the it's I I believe she's it's Doppelgangerland yeah where Angel says actually your vampire version is very close to yourself right uh, which we'll learn a little bit more of soon to come in the season. Mm-hmm. But what I love is that harmony that just means harmony is consistent. Yes. Like, she was a little shyer when we met her, I mm-hmm. would say. Like, she's kind of in Cordelia's shadow. Yeah. And now that she's a vampire, she's come a little bit more into her own. And she's, she's distinctly trying. Harmony. Yeah. It's not like suddenly she's, you know, this, like, sort of goth spirit that's just, you know, suddenly one of the quiet ones or lonely ones or right. likes to spend time. No, it's, she's Harmony. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that she just throws Spike out. That's so great. She's like, get out of here. What Can a I great have move. someone to eat? Yeah. And then Spike, the Spike Willow scene is perhaps one of the most classic scenes of season four. I think so. It's so horrifying and creepy Yeah. before we cut away. Cut. And then it cuts back. Yeah. And it's like, okay, once you know Willow's no longer in danger, because I think that we've become accustomed to feeling the fun of Spike. Yeah. And even though Spike is very violent in, he has these outbursts, like in Lover's Walk, He's silly, mopey, drunk, fun Spike, but then he, like, smashes a bottle and, like, threatens to cut Willow's face, and you're like, whoa, whoa, okay, yeah, Spike is still an evil vampire. Yes. And then there's the moment in Harsh Light of Day where he is, he's so violent in the yeah. episode. More violent than we've seen him in ages, so it's like, okay, Spike is a hard villain again, and in this, he's kind of a little silly and playful, but, you know, when he first comes into Willow's dorm room he's fully intending to kill willow absolutely which is terrifying yeah because he believes he thought that buffy had the initiative he yeah was like, the slayers upgraded yeah 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 which is really putting a lot of uh trust and belief into buffy's abilities to organize a lot of stuff yeah to get funding yeah A little presumptive Spike. It just goes into Spike's obsession with the Slayers. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This credit, they're amazing. So that's, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it past. But uh, it cuts back, and it's a conversation that I believe was Joss workshopping the Loki Tony Stark exchange. Mm -hmm. Or not even workshopping. I think that later he would go back to it in the same way that there's a lot of references to season three Buffy in uh, Astonishing X-Men. For those who have read it. I don't want to say too much. If you haven't read Astonishing X-Men, run out and get Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men. It's so fun. It's ultimately, in my view, the greatest superhero arc ever written. Oh, wow. That's... It's just so clear. Yeah. And it stars Kitty, and... There's amazing references throughout it to different X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. John Cassidy's art oh, is just so clear. You know what maybe we could post? And this has to do with Astonishing X-Men. Mm-hmm. I, the first time I saw Joss Whedon in person, was at a WonderCon back when it was in San Francisco. So it's uh, easy for me to get to it. Yeah. It was just an hour and a half train ride up 
to go to the convention center. Um, the first time I saw him in person was during an astonishing X-Men. No, was it? No, it was a it was a Serenity panel. Oh, that's awesome. It was just before Serenity was it was like maybe a year before Serenity was coming out, really. Um, and it's actually before I had even seen Firefly. That's awesome. Because it was hard to access stuff back in the day. You hadn't seen Firefly? I hadn't seen Firefly. You didn't watch it on TV? I didn't watch it on TV. I watched uh, it live on TV. I wish I had. I remember the exact first moment that I watched it was, I remember for whatever reason, we'd like positioned the couch in front of the TV, like in a really close, weird way. I don't know if we were like moving stuff. I remember I was late because I wanted to come back and watch Firefly. So I came back on a Friday night and the first image that I saw of Firefly was Mal getting thrown through the window. Wow. So it wasn't, it wasn't until DVD came out that I ever saw the actual opening right. exchange in the bar. So you just saw Mal... I turn on the TV, Mal gets thrown through the window. Standing up and saying, I say he rides again. Exactly. Because the first episode that aired was Train Job. Uh, yep. Yeah. And that's so tra- that Train it. Job. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. yeah, so I asked Joss at that panel uh, a question about Astonish... Or a question about... Which, what's his favorite medium to work in? Because he works in so many, and uh, and he had a great answer. And he, you know, referenced John Cassidy, who was there, mm-hmm. who stood up, who's like in the front row. Um, and it was so amazing, incredible. Fast forward, I want to say two Comic Cons ago, or maybe a Kamikaze. I forget exactly when. I think it was Kamikaze, or now what's Los Angeles Comic Con? Um, we were at the Brown Coat booth. Mm-hmm. And we were doing trivia, and I think the question was how many uh, uh, characters were originally thought of to be in the core cast of Firefly, and I answered seven or something. Like that. I got it right. And like you can win, you know, this, 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 or you could win a DVD of old panels. And I was like, wait a second, this might be the one with me, and it was awesome. And so maybe we'll post. I'll just. Capture that, that little bit of me asking my like prepubescent, awesome, <laughs> or like in the like I, when I walked up to the microphone, I started the the process of puberty, <laughs> as my <laughs> voice is just leaping through different fields and pitches and frequencies, as I'm asking Joss, and I I believe I told him that I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll grab that and put it up on Twitter. Oh, that's or on that's Instagram. fantastic. We should get my. I have my David Boreanaz and. Joss Whedon questions we on Anna totally. Fantastic as well. We Let's should do a supercut. We should do a supercut. That's what we'll do. We're going to do a supercut of our panel questions. Great. Uh, but anyhow, speaking anyway, of okay, panels. So speaking of panels, the so the Loki, the Loki Tony Stark, What which speech in this episode were you talking about? The Remember when Loki tries to uh, corrupt or use what we now know as an infinity stone or gem mm-hmm. against Tony Stark to corrupt his mind? Because he's yes. using the mind gem. Yeah. And it hits the arc reactor. Mm-hmm. And Tony says, seven out of ten guys or something. I forget what it like, okay, is. Yeah, it, yeah, three yeah, out of yeah. ten guys or whatever. Uh, or three, three out of ten times. And then Loki throws him through a window. To me, that was Joss had sharpened that knife on this scene where Willow's like, does this happen to most vampires? It doesn't happen to me. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We can try again, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I love the moment of Willow then being like, oh, wait a minute, this is a sworn enemy. Right. Smash. Right. Which is such an interesting dynamic for Spike to have in the group. 
Of being a sworn enemy. That's... A sworn enemy that's just so likable. Yes. Yes. And He's next just so week handsome we'll and into... British. Yeah, that's so true. Next week we'll get into how fun it is to have him at a Thanksgiving table. Yes. I feel like we did that. I feel like we already talked about that. <laughs> so weird. So yeah, so um, so Spike is now back in the fold. Yeah, pretty much. Spike's As, in the fold. Yeah. Hostel 17. I love that. And I love that that's a cool like new name that Spike has in Hostel his... Hostel 17. Is mm-hmm. this, a, this isn't the first episode we hear the reference to... Is it? Oh, yeah. Hostel 17 needs to be on so much Buffy swag. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, like, if you just had, like, a denim, or a, or if you had, like, a black jacket, and on the side of it, it had a thing that said Hostel 17, or even just a shirt mm-hmm. that said Hostel 17, or even Spike holding up, like, uh, those, I don't know what they're called, but when you get a mugshot, I call it slating, but that's because of it's a casting <laughs> term. When you're slating for a mugshot. Yeah. Uh, it says Hostel 17. And it says Hostel 17. Love it. Love it. Like, it almost looks like Spike was, like, arrested. Yeah. I love it. Swag by Fox on Swag Twitter. Swag by Fox, yeah. Our very best friends. There's so much cool stuff I was going through, and I was just like, I here's all my money. <laughs> here's all my money. Oh, wait, there's... In fact, here's a bunch of money that I don't have. <laughs> Can I just I'll have the charge it. Oh, yeah. I can't? Uh, Great. But let's talk about the initiative really quickly. Because this is the episode. Um, that, it is so effectively creepy. And I remember the first time watching this episode and feeling chilled to my bones in a very... When we talk about Lovecraft, often we talk... Or, like, sort of like the unfathomable horror. We talk about, like, weird sea creatures and ancient words and stuff that's Mm -hmm. really, at the end of the day, kind of xenophobic. Uh, But (laughs) that's the horror I felt when the bag of blood falls from the ceiling. Yeah. And it was just this, what? There's, this is so thought out. And then when he's like, don't, the blood is drugged. I was like, this is so manipulative and creepy Mm -hmm. and eerie and disturbing. Yeah. And it's these, and the, it's so much thought went into something that seems to be so harmful. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was, I was amazed at how frightened I was when I first met the initiative. Absolutely. I think that also government as evil Mm -hmm. is something that we haven't had to really deal with that in Buffy before. But I also feel like... Aside from the mayor. You know what? You're right. We have had to deal with it before. But it didn't feel, I guess it's it's military-esque. Military versus closed door secret experiments right and that that's in sci-fi a trope that has been going on forever it's like when you find your aliens at roswell like whenever the government shows up in sci-fi fantasy it's not a good thing do you think- unless it's smolder and scully right right but even then they had to are they really helping some- that much that's a Good question. I think they've helped some people, <laughs> right. like in their lives, yeah. like save their lives. Right. Um, but yeah, like people, the government types are always, you know, they've got their clean lab coats and they've got their, it's just something about the organization and the precision that tries to make humans unhuman or is, make life not life. Right. Is this, is the initiative government or yes. is it private? Government. It's government? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it's always very interesting to me. Like the president, I think. Wow, it goes all the way up? Yeah. Yikes. All the way up to Bill Clinton. At the time, yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't surprise me. Honestly, that's <laughs> the initiative is like one of the most Bill Clinton things I've ever <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like Riley is like an extension of like the Bill Clinton administration. That's mm-hmm. perfect. It's just yeah. like what a nice guy. I mean, yeah, he works for a group that cuts open demons and tortures them. But there's some good it's like, yeah, we shouldn't have dropped so many bombs. Um <laughs> But uh I that's, it's so interesting to me whenever government is shown as something so clean and precise and sort of fascist. Yes. Because in my experience, like I know a lot of my friends' uh, dads are scientists for the government, mm-hmm. um, you know, for portions of their lives or were career, uh, you know, government scientists. Um, and just hearing how they had to work through stuff and also knowing my time in like leadership, whether it was like in local government stuff when I was, uh, you know, back home or even just in like school stuff. I'm always amazed every time government is portrayed as very organized and clean and straightforward. Cause mm-hmm. my experience, it's usually very VP. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Okay. Great. <laughs> so yeah. it's always like, anytime I see like top of the line equipment, or like clean lab coats and stuff. I'm just like, where do they get the funding for that? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. What like program was slashed for that <laughs> lab coat budget. Because usually I just... believe children's education. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. Possibly benefits for veterans. No. Yeah. That's <laughs> healthcare. <laughs> Who wants it? Everyone. Yeah. Who's getting it? Millions of people. <laughs> that's the answer to both. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's very. Yeah, it's so funny to me every time government is portrayed. But then it's really freaky because then I think it's sort of like this like Boeing arm of like some, it's not the answerable to the people government. Because mm-hmm. I think anytime the government has to answer to the people, people usually ask, do I want to pay for this thing? The answer is usually no. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's usually just like decades old computers or whatever and stuff like that. Whereas when you see something flashy and fancy and nice, you're like, wait, where's that money coming from? Mm-hmm. And that's what creeps me out. Totally. Yeah, and I think that Riley and Forrest and Graham, I mean, they truly are intending to keep the public safe. I think that there is a air from Walsh and the rest of the group that it's like, you know, the creature needs to be contained, but I feel like more so because they're still trying to contain it from public knowledge. They don't want to lose their asset. They want to have, I mean, because it's, let's talk about the chip. Let's talk about the chip. Why? Why put a chip into a vampire's head? That's a great question. Why not just kill it? They don't know who Spike is. They don't know how charming and fun he is. Yeah. They don't know that, you know, he's going to be making possibly funny wisecracks over Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's ever happened. I mean, the answer to your question, I believe, is control. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the... Why would you... You don't do want something? to kill demons. You want to control demons. Right. It, it, that's the thing. It's not an eradication, which is a whole different thing that is freaking we can talk about. Although, that's sort of the job of the Slayer. So, I guess mm-hmm. we're kind of on that side already to begin with. Right. But it is control, right? Mm-hmm. The chip is control. 
Yeah, and Riley's kind of being pretty patriarchal against Buffy in that scene. Yes. He's like, young ladies shouldn't be out here by themselves at night. Yeah. And it's like, she can handle her own, Riley. Yeah. You, you, you let her do what she wants. Try my recipe chicken. <laughs> yeah. Try my recipe chicken. Try my recipe chicken. <laughs> Riley, are you okay? Great. As never, you'll, you'll always see it. <laughs> Try my recipe chicken. Put that on a t-shirt. It's called Swag by Fox. Um, yeah, so... Anyway, as you were saying, control. I, I think it, well, it's control. The chip is control. It's what do you think they wanted to happen to him? Do you think that they wanted to do it so he couldn't attack them when they were doing further experiments on vampires? The fact that I don't have an answer for you is what I think is so freaky. Yeah, and if he's hostile seventeen, does that mean he's the seventeenth one, or that's just his designation? That's a great question. Because, I mean, is it kind of... That means that the initiative's a little new, as it would have to be, at least in Sunnydale, because we haven't seen them them. before, besides when they came and got Marcy, but Mm -hmm. they just came in for a second, and it's not even confirmed that that was even them. And in here, you know, the commandos have begun to show up, and so we know that the thing's there, but it feels like, yes, season four is where the initiative fully sets up shop, and their little underground organization, as big as that room is, it looks a little fly-by-night. Yes. This is not the Cabin in the Woods facility. No, it's not. And in case you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, rent it, find it. I think it might be on Netflix. I might be wrong. Uh, but it's... You're gonna love it. If it's you're a Buffy fan, you will oh love boy. Cabin in the Woods. Um, I... These are all such great questions about the... That's what I love about this. That's something that like I... I feel like this was such a good turn for the season Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting and you have so many questions and that's what's so great about something like this and i love when a show introduces a huge element it's something that i feel like i'm missing a little bit and i don't i'm not trashing other shows other shows don't have to be exactly what i want that's not at all what i'm saying or intending but like, for example, like I never really got that feeling in Agents of Shield, which has like so many geeky references. I love Chloe Bennett. I love Mingna, and it's so fun to watch. But like, there's never a moment for me, except for one twist in season one. Aside from that one, which was huge and so fun to watch, I was never like, "Whoa, this is a corridor!" Like, this is a door I never saw, and you open it, and you go down that corridor. Mm-hmm. Whereas, for example, shows like Doctor Who do that on a uh, weekly basis with their episodes. Mm-hmm. I miss when a show would pivot every so often mm-hmm. and it seemed so perfect and you didn't expect it, but you knew that it had to be coming, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like Lost did it effectively. I don't know if it kind of led up to the thing that I always... Lost, the first three seasons of Lost, I think are quite compelling. I agree. Especially the first two seasons. The season two finale of Lost, despite the fact that everything that seemed like it was going to be interesting ultimately was not. Right. Was so beautifully made. I I agree. I yeah. agree. Desmond, great stuff. Oh, that's Desmond, for our yeah. That's a different podcast altogether. Right. Um, Riley. Let's talk about Riley. Let's talk about Riley because now we know a little bit more about Riley. Yeah. And I want to get. You know, on a future Riley heavy episode, we got to get Sterling Gates. Absolutely. Because Sterling Gates is a big Riley guy. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to like Riley this time around. It's really hard for me to do. Here's what's funny 
I'm on Sterling's team. Yeah, you're on Team Especially Riley now? Especially after the initiative. Oh, I am so on Sterling Gates' team. Okay, so what brought you around to Riley? His... What you got? First of all, he's framed against Uber Bros. Yes. He's framed against Parker. He punched Parker in the face. That's going to get some brownie points. Yep. If he could go maybe also just give, not a punch, but maybe a little push to uh, Scott and Owen. Also would win some brownie points for Mm -hmm. me. Um, But ultimately, Owen, not as bad as Scott or... I mean, he's the worst. (laughs) But he's not... But he's third worst. He's third worst. He's third worst. Uh, At least he was well-read. I... Yes. I have to give that to him. I won't have a cynical response, but that's true. The man loves his poetry. Yeah, and that whole discussion that we were having earlier in the season about, like, you know what, maybe Parker, you know, he's just another confused kid in the world. It's like, no, Parker knows what he's doing. This one was the nail in the good deeds coffin. Yeah. Not a... Not a... Good a guy. douche. Yeah. A, bi- a big old douche. A big old douche. Yeah. Uh, a B.O.D. Really big douche. <laughs> uh, yeah, when Riley puts him down, that was awesome. Yeah. So it was that. The and- toilet seat comment? Gross. Where did that come from? Yeah, and what a icky comparison. She saved your life. She, she saved your life. And, and you, you acknowledged can- it. Yeah, and you compare her to something that you sit upon to release excrement? Something that I, I consciously forget about. I consciously forget about toilets once I leave. Oh, I can never a forget bathroom. about them. I'm haunt, so sorry. They haunt me all day. <laughs> Toilet ghost. Um, him going to Willow was where I was like, I like this. Yeah. Because it's not something we've seen, and he is a peculiar person, but he's not. And I feel like this word is probably, if you go into the history of it, a horrible term, but I'm still going to use it. He's not so much a goober. Yeah. That I feel like a lot of Buffy's courting, aspiring, uh, uh, calling gentlemen, um, I feel like a lot of them were super not awesome. Yeah. Whereas Riley's handsome. He's very smart. He's involved in Buffy's world. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's going to her friend for advice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I'm willing to see how this plays out. Right. Because he's also putting, I feel like he has respect for Buffy. Oh, for sure. And he's taking kind of like a clinical approach. That is true. And there's something very Like, off- I'm not going yeah. to hit on her willy-nilly. Right. I'm going to try to win her affections through... Honest means. Right. And I think also Besides getting... the fact that he's keeping... Well, they're both keeping secrets. Yeah, yes. That's very true. Uh, secrets that they should keep. It, it always, at least at this juncture. I agree. Yeah. Right. They don't know enough about each other. Yeah, to, he's, a, he's a secret agent. She's a... This episode... That's crazy. This episode reveals... I mean, I think that I've seen the show so many times that I take it for granted. But yeah, this is the episode that reveals Riley is a secret government agent. Like Clark Kent from Smallville... Mm-hmm. Is kind of Riley. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you were gonna say? It, well, yeah. I was gonna compare them both, where it's kind of crazy that there's like a twist, mm-hmm. and that it's such a huge twist. Um, so yeah, I, as of right now, and later on, I'll talk about sort of problems that pop up and everything. 
as of right now, I like how he's approaching his blossoming dynamic with Buffy. Mm -hmm. And going through Willow and talking to her. And also, you know what it was? The moment where he was like, cut the music. Cut the music. Oh, and it was the song. And she was like, boop. And he was like, yeah. And for those uh, who can't see us, so everyone but Chris, (laughs) I was doing his hand signal of like, hey, hand against the throat, cut it. And I think it's always cool when someone does a hand gesture to communicate something. I do as well. And yes, yeah, and I can confirm Omar is doing a hand gesture that's Thank you. like what Riley was doing. Because so it, it, yeah. it was a Dingo's Eat My, ate my exactly. Baby Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he was, a, he was aware enough and in tune enough to be... And I thought that was just a nice little moment. You know what that was? And the cheese bit? Cheese bit's great. I mean, she didn't like cheese that much. No, I don't know. I Has Buffy ever expressed an adoration for or of cheese? Um, maybe it's a residual from when Amy turned her into a mouse. You know what? You're right. You're right. That's absolutely what it has to be. That's absolutely what it has to be. Uh, so she, she now loves cheese. I would assume also running in vertical circles. Like 2001 Space Odyssey must be like one of her favorite movies. So yes, she's got many mouse-like qualities. <laughs> when when people describe someone as mousy, or was she a rat? What's the difference between a mouse and a rat? I think it's like the difference between a bear and a much smaller bear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the difference between a dove and a pigeon is? Uh, one is full of uh, disease. That and is, one is full of hope. That is actually <laughs> the answer. Biologically, <laughs> there is no difference. But for us culturally, we associate doves with peace and harmony and purity, and we associate pigeons with, with pestilence. Being, with pestilence, <laughs> which is a relatively new concept, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Pigeons actually used to be a huge delicacy. Okay. Uh, like quail or something like that, which I don't think we can eat in California because it's a state bird. I don't think you're allowed to. Oh, really? I've had quail eggs before, which is kind of grim. You might be able to have quail eggs. But But I I think that I had quail eggs in like an hors d'oeuvre at somebody's like fancy party that I think I was working like I, oh. was pa- like, I was, like, I was tray passing quail eggs. Right, and then, at, and then you were like, just like... Uh, please, bring the quail eggs. And then, of course, the fish eyeballs inside yeah. of the champagne. And then you were like, and like we, had, we ordered seven quail eggs. Why did they come with six? Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I think you ordered, ordered six. <laughs> I would have remembered gulp. Uh, <laughs> so, to answer your question... I think it's because he is sort of more of a personality that Buffy needs right now, especially after Parker. Mm -hmm. We've met so many jerky guys. And honestly, in college, so many guys are horrible. Oh, yeah. I think in general, people are quite horrible because you're growing into this new mental body that you're Mm -hmm. forming. And males skew horrible. I... I feel like I was was talking to some people about this, how I am, when people are like, this is really going to break me, or this is really just going to like tear my brain in half, or this is really challenging my identity, and stuff like that, I have a hard time sympathizing with that fear of like, I don't know who I am anymore, 
Because I realized that when I entered college, probably sophomore year, I realized that I was raised in such a toxic environment mm-hmm. uh, to, to quote one of our favorite podcasts and fellow Buffy friends buffering, <laughs> or to paraphrase, the, the patriarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I realized that I was just pickled in this toxic brine for so many years of my life, mm-hmm. almost two decades, that I had to almost destroy so much of myself and declump and yeah. tear myself apart and then rebuild with tools that I thought were more conducive to being, ha- and it's not even, Oh, I want to be a good person. So people like me, I, I didn't realize that I was in so much pain Yeah, and it would just be a thing of like, I don't know how to talk to women mm-hmm. was like a thing I remember thinking freshman year. Yeah. And then sophomore year being like, what am I, why am I thinking this? Like, do I not know how to talk to people? That's a like that's yeah, a thing, and I can learn to do that. To it. But it was distinctly like, how do I talk? Like, I can talk to women who are friends, but if I want like to sleep with a, a girl, like mm. I have to talk completely differently, and like I have to play all the games where like you're mean to them and like belittle them, so like, they need you for affirmation and stuff. That was stuff I was like raised with in high school, mm-hmm. and then once I got to like college, just at that age when I was like. When you also, when you're able to see, your brain is forming so you can see other people's feelings and reactions a little bit better. And I saw that stuff I was doing was hurting other people so much. I was like, this is insane. Like, this is terrible. So I think that Riley is a little bit more stable in that way. He's a little bit more mature. And that's something like, especially after Parker. He's valued. Yes. And it's interesting because it's like, you've got Forrest in the beginning of this episode, doing his whole little speech about... He is... Mm-mm-mm. Women, women, women. In a cafeteria. Right. Right, like, that just really goes to that's show... That's the metaphor. It's like, that's, it's like a buffet for him in every regard. Yeah, it's, he's talking about it as if it's a buffet, and then there's the great Buffy breaking the ice cream moment. Yes. And Riley's more so... What's interesting is because it's like, you often encounter... I mean, I encountered... Incredible Incredibly less now, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, as you know, young boys, whenever you'd be around people talking like that, because Riley, as valued of a man as he is, Forrest, I mean, Forrest is not in completely awful territory, but he's not in great territory. No, he's like, he's not failed, but I would still give him a D. Yeah, <laughs> he's still, yes, he's getting a D in terms of like the way he's going about this. Yeah. Of having um, cool. And that he kind of like respects Parker mm-hmm. in a way. Like Forrest is kind of like, yeah. ooh, we got to go talk to Parker. Yeah. I think he's been there before. As the Buffy guy on YouTube said, the fact that him and Parker are friends kind of tells you all you need to know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And, but Riley's not entirely shutting Forrest down. He's kind of just sort of trying to do his own thing and like kind of continue the conversation. But you can tell that it's like, but I think that that's just your friends. Exactly. You're, it's at a weird age where you don't. Yeah, know do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. With this? Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to cut out people out of your life at mm-hmm. that age. Mm-hmm. So it is an interesting thing, even though uh, the actor playing Riley, Mark looks, Lucas. Mark. Who's like got a famous, he's like famous in a basketball career. What? I'm not surprised. I think he was, like, I was at... Was he in the Hornets? I don't think he was a pro player. Okay. I think he was a college ball guy. Okay. And I think that 
and I probably should have looked this up, but I remember at Comic-Con, someone brought up, I brought up Buffy to someone, and maybe it was Dave's boyfriend, um, Tony, I can't remember, but he was like, oh, well, you know, I haven't really watched Buffy, but I'm a huge fan of Mark Blucas. And I was like, the actor who played Riley well, like for a what? Lifetime film? Yeah. And he was like, well, no, no, no. He's like an incredibly successful basketball player. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Anytime someone is also good at athletics. <laughs> yeah. I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, yeah, this is like, by the way, did you know that Emma Caulfield uh, is a award-winning shot putter? I'd be like, great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it is an interesting thing. And here's, because here's something I love about Buffy. This is something that maybe freaks some people out. And I think it's, but it's, I think it's one of the reasons that we're so drawn to Buffy is so much does change. Yeah. This is not sort of a, I don't mean to be flippant, but it's not a big bang theory or law and order esque show. Things are going to change and shift. Dynamics are constantly swirling. Characters that we know and love are going to have their little quirks. Willow's always going to be a bit of a bookworm. Giles is always going to be a little dusty and Mm -hmm. tweety. At the same time, Willow has some dark streaks as we saw in Doppelgangland. Mm -hmm. And Giles is Ripper. And Xander's always going to be kind of wormy, selfish, and insecure. That's very true. Until there's going to be some very selfless moments. Yeah, I don't want to say... T- yeah, but Because you can be selfish and selfless all in the same because that's what people are. That's so true. Exa- and that's the thing is, I think because the show allows it to have characters, not caricatures. Yeah. We are going to see... I think these are the seeds of tension mm-hmm. between Riley and the people that are like his... Almost like... This plays out almost like fraternity brothership. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So and that Riley's kind of emerging from that culture, right? Because like, it's not really what he belongs, and he to. doesn't quite. Be- yeah, exactly. He doesn't quite belong. Where mm-hmm. he he seems to get along with Willow so quickly. Yeah. I would keep my eye on what's going to go on there, mm-hmm. because going from one friend group to another is nuts. And I'm not saying he's going to. Yeah. But he seems to get along with Willow a little bit better than friends of friends that he punches. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, in movies and TV, you can cut away from a punch. In real life, it's a very ineffective beat. Yeah. I've found out in my life. I've never punched or been punched. You've never been punched or you've never punched? I've never punched or been punched. This is, I've punched quite a few and I've been punched quite a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's stupid. It's stupid. Miles and I saw like a guy get jumped during comic-con last year i saw someone get thrown down to the street and the gas lamp the gas lamp is is like a college town of like 30 to 60 year olds i it's the la jolla spillover yeah all the homeowners are like get out of here for tonight yeah your riffraff oh my god which is probably another terrible term i feel like every every night of comic-con i got yelled at that's insane. Get out of my way, you asshole. I, um... What? But I'm just walking. <laughs> I, yeah, I avoided... That doesn't happen in Hollywood. No. In Hollywood, it's more so like, you know. I got into a conversation with... Sorry, just really quickly, that reminded me. I got to a, a Twitter argument where this guy on Twitter was saying, like, in Hollywood, if you're conservative, you can't work. And I have 
worked for a handful of different studios or like ancillary companies that work for the studios. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause like all of my bosses have been insanely conservative. Mm-hmm. We're like donating gobs of money to Mitt Romney mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so I was like, I don't know, like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I really don't think that's like true or whatever. And I was like, what do you, and he's like, well, I was visiting and like, I was wearing uh, a red hat, make America great again. And I got yelled at and it, Made me realize something. I almost think that Californians are so, like, Katy Perry music video, loosey-goosey, like, chill, everything's easy for us compared to other states. Because also that's how people paint us, too, I've noticed. Like, in other states, we're like, oh, you're in California. Like, you get to hang out, you know, and stuff like that. And we have very nice weather, you know, when when it rains once a year. Mm -hmm. But I realized... Because this kid was like, I got yelled at. And I was like, that's it? That was your harassment? I almost got hit by a car today because I was wearing a Sam Adams t-shirt. Like, I, like, <laughs> I was like, you have no idea. Like, that's... Like, Yingling rules! <laughs> <laughs> Blue point! Uh, so, yeah, it was very funny to me where I was like, you, I was like, you soft... Little summer child. Sweet summer child. Try driving at rush hour, merging onto Wilshire from 405. It'll be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life. Mm. And there's someone who's going to look at you and point at you and have this look in their eyes that I am going to drive through your car. (laughs) And that's an LA experience. It is. It is. So people in New York were very bustly. And straightforward, but very nice. Oh, yeah. Like, no, hey, you're walking slow. Line. You're looking for the M train? It's over that way. You want to get off of Marcio, right? Yeah. Like, that was like that. Yeah. That's how it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, that guy was from Boston. But <laughs> whereas in but Los Angeles, it was like you go, you're like, hey, I'm so sorry. How do I get to, you know, I don't know. How do I get to Burbank? And then, like, then LA response. Someone might be nice and be like, all right, here's what you want to do. You want to do this. You want to do this. Or someone might be like, you don't know? And right. just walk away. Yeah. Very so true. it's a tough town. LA's a much tougher town than people give her credit for. Yeah, no, it is. It just seems like it's not because it's so bright and you can't see anything. Yes. Does that make sense? Not yeah. Really. Totally. I mean, everything is blinded out because it is just, you're so baked by the end that you don't even want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but let's do some closing thoughts before we either hop back into a Comic Con experience. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Comic-Con really quickly. Do you want to close thoughts on Initiative first? I think we've talked about it quite a bit. I think we have. I like it a lot. Great episode. Will, uh, Allison Hannigan, shining like the star she is in this episode. Everyone does a great job, but I really think that Allison Hannigan has such... This is like showing off Willow. Sad Willow, funny Willow, this, you know, the emotional spectrum Willow. Mm. Uh, so really, I just want to give a hats off to, uh, or I want to polish my glasses mm-hmm. to Allison Hannigan in this episode. Our glasses are clean. We are wearing no hats. Uh, also, really quick shout out to um, uh, Xander and Giles, who very quickly in the beginning acknowledge that they're not going to do anything in this episode. <laughs> Two characters who are kind of struggling to find their identity this season still, but in a way that is accurate. And who would have, yes. What do you do when you're not in college? Yeah. And, everyone's... and Giles is like, I'm unemployed, and my friends are all children. 
And, <laughs> and then Xander, it's like, and I'm, you know, working odd jobs and ice cream trucks and construction sites where I might start a construction site job next mm-hmm. week at, Hall- at at Thanksgiving. And I really hope that there is uh, insurance on there in case there's I know. any incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, and but and then the Xander's mom fruit punch moment. Fantastic. Yep. And you know what? I like that Giles likes raspberry fruit punch. Yeah. And she's like, do you want some fruit punch for you and your friend? It's like, ha, ha, ha. It's great. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, all around, hats off to everyone. I think it's a great episode. It is a great episode. Uh, so, yeah, now let's do a quick, you know, that's our bell. And as much as I want to do an extracurricular, I don't want to, you know, back end so much. I say let's just take a little extracurricular breakfast club discussion of San Diego Comic-Con to be our extracurricular. I'm in. Great. Uh, how was your Comic-Con? Really great. Really great. I was very pleased with it. That's fantastic. The main thing, of course, was that if you haven't noticed on our social media pages, um, Omar and I got in contact with uh, a woman named Jenny, I believe Steven is the way you say her last name. She's super cool. She does a lot of promotional stuff for Fox. So she mm-hmm. does stuff for the Buffy properties and Stargate. She's super cool. She's a podcast. She's a listener of the podcast. She's a she's a Scooby amongst us. She was at WhedonCon. She's friends with Marcia. And she had heard about us through Marcia and Jackson Lansing, a good friend of ours. Yes. And so we got in contact and she wanted Omar and I to help guide the night and host the night. So along with a man named Damien, a man named Bernie, who calls himself the Geek Gatsby, because he throws like parties for Stan Lee. And he is the Geek Gatsby. <laughs> Like, sans all the dumb stuff and the pool scene. Like, you know when Gatsby in the in the latest film, the Boz Lerman film, when he holds out the shand- the, yeah. the champagne glass? Yeah. That Gatsby, not like the sad backstory, that, like, just, he's constantly holding out a champagne glass, yeah. being like, welcome, sport. Yeah, every time you, you like turned comics? over to Gatsby, he was holding up a thing. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, Geek Gatsby, a, man, a comedian named Damien, Claire Kramer. Yes. Glory herself, and then me and Omar. Yes. And we were the different hosts for the night. It was a party at a place called Sidebar. The entire place was converted by Fox into the bronze. They had the dangling cage Amazing. Things. They had Dark Horse comic coloring book pages. They had all of the images on the walls were replaced with large printed out framed images of the series. And there was all these giveaways. People were in line. They had amazing cosplay. It was about as much of a dream come true as you could imagine. It walking in, I knew that we had to do stuff, so I was like, uh, get, get focused, get yeah. ready. And it was a moment where we walked in and we were just like so sandblasted from the convention and then looking around, and it was just the bronze. Yeah. And it was a moment where I stood there and I was like, I get to be a part of this. Yeah. We get to mention the podcast to more people, which is always great. Yeah, we got to put our cards all over the place. Always love to get more study buddies. But mostly I was like, I'm at Comic-Con, which is always a huge deal for me. That's so insane. Still blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't explain to you guys how much of an unprofessional fanboy I am. Me too. Uh, Yeah, we are. So uncynical in that experience. Yeah. And then... 
to just be like, I'm at a Buffy party. And there's a spike in a Drusilla dancing intimately over there. I, okay, uh, this is a sad version of this, but I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The Aviator. There's the, the end scene where he has achieved so much and he turns and he sees himself as a young kid and his mom. And he's still sort of there in his mind. I have that, but instead of a sad child and like hearkening back to that, it, to me, it's me laying in bed with a tiny DVD player watching Buffy mm-hmm. that I got from the library because I didn't have money to buy them or like we didn't have like, you know, Netflix and VOD and Hulu and all that stuff mm-hmm. back in the day. I had VHS tapes that had just two episodes per tape. <laughs> right. Yeah. And in so- fact, I found a Buffy episode. That's so funny. The first Buffy episode I ever watched was on Fox. Because Fox owns Oh, Buffy. right. Yes, 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 yes. And so the reruns, they're either on FX or they're on, um, or they're on Fox. Right. So I, at midnight, on a Sunday night, so my college essay was about, I saw The Freshman, season four, very first Buffy episode there it I ever is, saw. yeah. But yeah, go on. Oh, it's just, I feel like I can reach through time and tell my younger self, watching and just living through Buffy... In a town that felt like Sunnydale, that when it was autumn was autumn, and the leaves lost all their, the trees lost all their leaves, and there were spiders everywhere. And I spent so much time at the library, I felt like I was like part of the Scooby Gang, and I was like so into like old stories and fables and like Krampus and everything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I did at some point reach through and go like, this is only gonna get better. Because at that age, all I wanted to do was just hang out with people and talk about Buffy and geek out and read comics and talk about movies. And of course, do other. And I don't want to just like live in like a fan, you know, third party material bubble. Like I wanted to make original content and mm-hmm. do stuff and interact with people and learn about science and everything like that. Don't get me wrong. But it, I felt like I was fulfilling a dream being at this party. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it started. Just by looking around and seeing, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar on, like, the little things on the table and seeing all the posters up and, like, the giant Buffy and then I slay and, like, the balloons and yeah. the gentleman had, like, a step and repeat gentleman thing. Yeah. And then <clears throat> in walks Claire and you just... In all her glory. Yeah, in all her glory. And you just felt it. She is glory. She was wearing her glory red dress. Yeah, she is. She is like she and she's very nice. It, in case you've seen the, the episodes we're talking about, yeah, it's a future. Then you might be like, though. "Oh my god, did she you know terrorize?" But no, not in that no. way. No. But man, does she have presence? Oh yeah. So let's do a quick rundown. Not necessarily a play by play, but a rundown. Um, the party starts. We. It's just kicking off. There's a drink called the Chosen One, which was delicious. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like there was a little bit of blood dashed into like a tequila drink. Then we get to do our first bit, which was uh, going to be a sketch. And the sketch that we chose to kick off the night with was um, from Once More With Feeling, an mm-hmm. episode that's coming up in case you haven't seen it, a song between Xander and Anya. Mm-hmm. Should we give a spoiler warning? No, I mean, I feel like this is somewhat popular knowledge. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we don't need to get into too much, but yeah, we... But it was half of the group was Xander's side, half the group was Anya's side. We had a Xander and an Anya on stage, and it was the coolest, craziest, there has to be videos out there on Twitter 
I know that uh, Fox had a bunch on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Everyone is just singing, and then we got to do that over and over <laughs> and over with different songs. Everyone knew that we didn't have lyrics. Everyone just knew it. Yeah, and it's like the the Buffy sing-alongs that we do with Weedonopolis are awesome. And yes. Everyone's in their seat. This was the first time because we were we were still working out with Jenny based on the feel of the evening, whether or not we wanted to just kick it off with a song and then do some scene reenactments. But what we discovered was that the place was more kind of conducive to the sing-along atmosphere yes. because, you know, to stop and do a scene and to pause and watch people read dialogue, it just didn't really seem like that was going to be something that would hold people's attention um, just because there was no, like, real elevated stage. Yes. It was more of just kind of like a platform. And so we decided to just do all songs from the musical and we, and it was amazing. It's like, I felt like I was like in CBGBs of, it, right. it was like almost floor level us, like surrounded by like a horde of people all just singing the lyrics. It was amazing. At one point up to the platform, stepped up the anointed one himself. Oh my God. That was awesome. And Andrew Furchland. Who is a class act. When oh, they say yeah. don't meet your heroes, they apparently have him at Andrew. <laughs> he is the coolest guy. Yeah, he was so cool. Uh, and and so it was great where we got to introduce him a little bit, yeah. and the crowd went, went wild, nuts. We were like, the night of Saint Vigius is upon us because the Anointed One has risen. And, and I was just like, <sighs> the cult of the Anointed One was there that night. Like he was the master, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The anointed, the anointed returned. In Ooh, incredible. What if we ever get to bring Buffy back to TV? I'm thinking alternate dimensions of plenty. In one dimension, the anointed one lives. I believe it. Mm. Well, also, we were talking about how he just escaped, right? That was our pitch oh, up there. Yeah. Was like, no, you didn't see it. We panned away and there was some smoke, but. Nope. The anointed he just one is, out. Yeah, the anointed one is so powerful that he just. Yeah, he bamfed. Yeah, we didn't right? see his skin. Melts. No, he nightcrawled out of there. He nightcrawled out of there. That's a skill of the anointed ones. And Claire Ooh. was taking pictures with everyone, yeah. was just in the crowd. She just just soaks up and and releases so much Buffy energy and mm-hmm. Buffy love. And then later in the night, because it was the anniversary, because we're slaying, slaying on 20, uh, there was a cake made by a super fan yeah. that was insanely good looking Mm -hmm. and then Claire staked it yeah we sang the crowd in a happy birthday but changed to happy anniversary yes where the exact way to say anniversary was never quite clear no there's several (laughs) syllables one can stress yes (laughs) I think we lead into it yes yeah and then Claire Kramer stakes a cake instead of cutting it insane it was incredible Getting to hang out with so many Scoobies and so many study buddies, so many people saying that this is all they've ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to drink a drink called the Chosen One. Getting to toss our stickers and our cards around. Mm-hmm. It was such a magical experience. Yeah, I loved seeing people with our sticker on their shirt. Oh, and that was like, awesome. Because we record in one of two kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> This is how this podcast happens. 
So the fact that anyone that, that sounds like a like a lost Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> the one of two kitchens. <laughs> the lead colored sky <laughs> flooded in through the window. Uh as he scrapes the bowl for crumbs. Um, <laughs> it is so, so it just brings, I, I'm just overwhelmed anytime we get to chat with Buffy, about Buffy stuff mm-hmm. off mic. Yeah. Um, in terms of greater convention stuff, We'll see if we can find more videos and stuff to share on our socials. Yeah, that work is still being done. A lot of it's done on hashtag Buffy Slays 20. We've put out like our initial few pictures. Yes. Um, I will more to come. I will come. get on posting more. Like Marcia put up a thing. I'll put up a full album. Gatsby had some videos on his page. We're talking about trying to maybe do something for Halloween. That's not official yet, but I just wanted to start spreading that and it rumor. Was, yeah, before we move on from Buffy Slays 20... Uh, it's when people are like, is the fandom still alive? Is it big or is it just an entertainment weekly photo shoot that happened? No droves droves. A sweet was there in case, you know, yeah. uh, and was one with feeling sweet and one of his little puppet accomplices. Oh God. It's just, it's alive and blooming and growing and people are doing so much. It's just absolutely the best. It lives. So, uh, then on the convention floor itself, Chris and I got to hang out at the Hoopla booth. That was awesome. Which was so great. Uh, We got to... Hoopla, in case you don't know, in case you didn't see uh, from several either tweets or posts or a video I got to put up on Two Broke Geeks, Hoopla is your library to your devices. It's a gorgeous user interface. Mm -hmm. And what's maybe... And it's free. And I think what's maybe most interesting to you guys is you can read... Buffy comics, both the old uh, comics and the new Dark Horse comics. You can read. Those were Dark Horse as well. Oh, those were Dark Horse as well. Yeah, yeah. I was. And, and uh, sorry, Angel is the one that throws me off because that was IDW. IDW yeah. You can read the old IDW Angel comics. Oh, wow. Bill Willingham, I think, wrote some. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as the new, Buffy, uh, new Angel and Faith comics. Oh, love them. And now Angel has his own book. Now Angel has his own book. Uh, Willow and Spike also you can read as well as I was told I mispronounced this term but the Omnibus 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 yeah I think that's the right. Buffy Omnibus is also available for you to read on there lovely and that's through your library account so you can check out like a certain amount of titles so you can read these comics to your phone to your computer to your tablets wh- whatever you have uh, and so go check out hoopladigital.com and you can read these Buffy comics for free there's a ton of comics, but let's just focus on the Buffy ones for now. Mm-hmm. So we were there kind of sporting that, promoting it, and then our friends at the Los Angeles Library were also there. Mm-hmm. We got to hang out with them and just talk about how much we love the library. Yeah. Which for us is so, it was so funny telling these librarians that we record in the library. Right. And they're like, oh, we're in the central library. And we're like, oh, well, so are we. Yeah. <laughs> and then I believe Peggy said she was going to give us a tour of the, of the library. There's a very good chance that we're going to be able to record a special session in different portions of the central library. We might be finally allowed in yeah. legally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we'll be doing that, which is very, very, very exciting. Um, and then also, the little cherry on top is we ran over to the brown coat booth after our Hoopla experience. Guess who we bump into? None other than Jane Espenson. <laughs> oh, my God. I still have to put that picture up. <laughs> Oh, Jane Espenson, it was amazing. We got to chat with her. She's lovely. In case you guys don't know or couldn't 
In case you guessed that she is the loveliest of people, you're a hundred percent right. You win. You're you get correct. A, you get a sticker. She is the absolute best. Um, and she, we got a picture with her. She also uh, took one of the library cards, which is so sweet of her, and then signed one and drew her picture yep. into the library card. Like Juliet Landau did. Yes. So now I can put those two together, and they'll be friends. We have such a growing collection. Um, so yeah, so anyhow, we got to see Jane, which is wonderful as always, uh, catch up with her a little bit. She was just hanging out there cause she's just there for the folks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, ground cup booth is wonderful as always and allowed us to put our cards down. Yeah. Which is very nice. Amazing. People don't need to be nice to us. But you know what? Being nice is fun. Being nice, you get so much out of it. Mm-hmm. There's this one advertisement, I think I mentioned it before, but I'll try to find it and put it up again. Where it's like, what do you get out of helping people? You get a life full of emotions. Interesting. Right? Interesting. Instead of just the just being angry or whatever, yeah. you get a full life. That's what you get. A pleth. A, a plethora. plethora. So, so yeah, overall, awesome. what a wonderful Buffy-centric it really Comic-Con. Was. And then another thing I'll uh, mention was the music video. Yes, yes, please. So me and Matt Acevedo and Abby Trot of Hyper RPG, we made a music video. We were tasked by Zach Eubank with making a video about Comic-Con. So we wanted to make a video about how it's awesome how big Comic-Con has gotten, but to not forget about the fact that it's supposed to be about the comics and the creators who created these properties that became these multi-million dollar franchises. And so we did a little song called Comics on the Floor. If you go to my Twitter, Amontiak, or go to HyperRPG's page, you can easily find it. Would love if you guys would tweet it, share it out. We're trying to get these creators to be able to see it. They gave cameos in it. We have Marv Wolfman, Gail Simone, a lot of just like classic awesome people, John Romita Jr., who uh, just allowed us to get shots of them. And just it was such a fun, positive thing because the thing is, like, I remember there were some people being like, oh, Comic-Con's not about comics anymore. And it's like, well, no, it- it is. Yeah. It's just massive. Yeah. Like, yes, there's lines of people waiting for Hall H, but there's also hordes of people buying comics. Go down to the early numbers. Yeah. Go down to the early numbers or go to Artist Alley where people have their own independent stuff. Yeah, you can barely walk around over there. But there's, I saw, I saw bins full of half-off uh, paperbacks. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw just I saw $1 bins, 50-cent bins. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you can still go hunt. And I love a good... Dirt con. Yeah. As much as the next guy, possibly more than the next guy. Yeah. Uh, but and I will go to any if someone's like they rented out a hall in a community center, a bunch of just comic book collectors are selling their stuff, and there's old Godzilla VHS tapes. I'm there. That's my ideal weekend. Mm-hmm. My ideal weekend apparently is Burbank. It's a <laughs> Just a handful of shops in Burbank. But yeah, but there are, it totally still has that. Mm-hmm. Totally still has that. I remember my very first con. I don't remember really where it was. Like mm-hmm. somewhere, like some like, not Boston, but near Boston. Sure. Me and my friend Nate Gross were really into Smallville at the time. And they had a chance to meet Erica Durant, who played Lois Lane on Smallville, and Noelle Neal, who played La- Lois Lane in the George Reeve Superman. Yes, yes. So the first ever Lois Lane, screen Lois mm-hmm. Lane, and the current Lois Lane. Right. And I think that both of them are fantastic Lois yes. Lanes. So they were there, and Kenny Baker, and who has recently passed, who plays R2-D2, mm-hmm. and Anthony Daniels were there. 
And so we went to this con, and it was awesome. Great. Yeah. Wow. I took a picture with the stormtrooper, and I was like, wow, what a thing. <laughs> Little did I know. It's such magic we get to live, and I love it. And that's our bell, which means we got to start wrapping up. Mm. But really, guys, I hope that no matter where you were this last weekend, you had a wonderful San Diego Comic-Con weekend, which you can celebrate whether you're in the bottom-most corner of California or you're not. You just celebrate comics, celebrate these stories. I recently tweeted out something, and I really believe it. We, as human beings, are filled with so many emotions and aspirations and inspiration and fear and doubt and angst and love that we have to get rid of those somehow, and that spills out into stories. Mm -hmm. And then those stories have characters that they themselves love things so much. They love the world around them so much. They love justice and liberty Mm -hmm. and protection and individuality and creativity that they, they can't just walk around. They have to get up and fly or they shoot laser beams, or they're telepathic or telekinetic, or they slay, or they can turn into animals, because there's so much inside of us that we need to see that. And when I see these amazing, like, when, when folks are running around cosplaying, or, uh, you know, people are writing stories, or they do fan art, it's because there's so much inside of us, we have to have these incredible super aspects. Mm-hmm. And it's not fiction in the sense that we're rejecting reality. I think that is a portion of reality. Mm-hmm. And that stories are a portion of reality and it's acknowledging these sentiments inside of us that we have no other way but to express them through what's now become the popular arts. And if this is the popular arts, if Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who's going out and protecting people and exploring life and getting through it and surviving the hard days, if it's stuff like Superman and Wonder Woman and like all these characters... I'm happy for these to be the popular arts. Yeah, absolutely. So, great. My little Comic Con spiel. Thank you. I love that. That was a great speech. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us for our discussion of episode seven of season four, The Initiative, Mm -hmm. where we're really getting to know Riley. That's pretty much the full wrap-up. And if you'd like to have a Thanksgiving dinner and then possibly go to Los Angeles, just check our feed. Just go on back. (laughs) Yeah, just just check the feed. Go on back. We'll go ahead and we'll break the narrative really quickly. We did those episodes already, so you can... (laughs) Yeah, we... Yeah, yeah. We did those. Full disclosure. Oops. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oops, we did those. And will be future oopses that are better integrated. (laughs) Yeah. So if... Yeah, we did them out of order. It's okay. Just go back and listen to them. Just scroll your thumb down just a little bit in the feed section on your app, and you'll be just fine. To rewrite the title of an R.E.M. song, everyone makes mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our plane, so we gotta catch it. Yep, there it is, uh, down at the airport where uh, Faith shot someone with a crossbow, I believe. Exactly. So, all right, Chris, where can they find you? Hey, guys, how's it going? I'm Chris Permonti. You can find me as a Montioc on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find me as a Montioc on Hyper RPG on Thursdays, The Gauntlet, 6.30 p.m., and Fridays now, new time for HyperQuest, which is at uh, 3 p.m. Find me with Robot Teammate, Musical Improv. We uh, play for the Geek and Sundry Twitch stream on Gather Your Party every Friday at 9 p.m. And then stay tuned for Hamilton's LA. We're about to drop some interesting announcements soon. I know that we've said that, but it's about to get happening. So that's it. How about you, Omar? Envelope is sealed on that news, right? Just about, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, how about you, Omar? My name is Omar Najam. You can find me at Twitter 
at Omar Najam. You can mm. also find me at youtube.com slash geeks. I'm currently running a ongoing festival called Nerdy Worms, where we are making movies together. It doesn't matter what kind of camera you have. doesn't matter what equipment you have. We are making movies. We are telling stories. This week's prompt is places and sounds. All you have to do is take a picture or a series of pictures and capture the audio of exactly what you're hearing right then and there and put it together. Choose a space you're passionate about. I am going to be putting up some pictures and sounds that I took in Boston while I was there. Their rules are no zooming, no futzing with the audio. It's just how you experience it and how you heard it is how you're going to share it. And together, we are going to share our corners of the world with the world around us. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you can find anything and everything Sunnydale Study Group related, including a bunch of uh, San Diego Comic-Con catch-up at SSG Podcast on Twitter. Again, that's at SSG Podcast, as well as Sunnydale Study Group on Instagram and Sunnydale Study Group on Facebook. We've got a lot of stuff we're going to be putting up, and we are back on the podcast train. So we'll just be steaming ahead. Um, and we're going to see what we can do to make our stickers and cards available to you in case you weren't able to find us at Comic-Con. So I don't want to promise anything too much right now. I don't want to give any details, but stick around. That is something we are figuring out, how to get you cards and stickers, because we want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? If you're in the L.A. area, we'll drop some over at Meltdown. At, hey, that's what it, that's a great idea. In fact, maybe right after this, because i got to go pick up some Saga. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so we'll be back over the next couple of weeks with Buffy Something Blue and Angel Hero. That's yes. the next one's on the, on the docket, so just keep your eyes peeled. Yes, keep your eyes peeled. All right, guys, that's all for us on the discussion of Episode 7 of Season 4. We'll be back next week with even more fun Angel and Buffy stuff. And until then, pack up your bags, pack up your books. See you next week. Hey, Steady Buddies, just before uploading this episode, we found out that Margot Chase, the designer of the Buffy logo, passed away. So we just wanted to end this session with a moment of silence. All right, we'll see you next week.